Guys, I got a couple of quick things and then maybe a little bit non, not so quick. <clears throat> you know, today's October the 1st. The month of October is the month uh, that we here at Gracie Van nominate uh, men for the office of elder. Uh, these are the forms that you've grown accustomed to, the blue ones. Uh, if you're a member of this church, you, get a, you have a right to vote any, uh, or to nominate any man that you feel like uh, meets the qualifications as listed in the, the New Testament. Uh, you can put your, that nominee on here. You have to sign your name and, uh, or and print your name so that we can read it. But you have a month to do that. And now let me remind you, uh, last year I told you, and this, the year has, gone, has flown by, we will not be electing four this year. We will be electing five. We're adding uh, uh, to the session to take it from 12 to 15, and we'll add one per year for three years. So um, if you remember, you can nominate anyone you uh, think that qualifies. Uh, you have to be... Uh, above the age of 17, and uh, nominating someone who is non-family. You can't nominate your family member, but other than that, uh, have at it. And I've got these if you want. You can put them in the repository, but you have a month, but you can start now if you like. What happens is we usually get about three or four of these cards for the first 28 days, and then we get 700 of them the last three, three days. So um, uh, make your move. I do want to introduce to you a man uh, that has grown dear to so many of us around here. We have been involved in this man's ministry in India for I don't know how long, uh, 12, 15 years or so. Um, the, the ministry, this is the place where I go uh, and have the privilege of teaching things that are precious to me and, and him uh, and his ministry. Edgar Sathaluri is back here. Edgar, uh, there he is. Stand up. That, <clears throat> Um, it's, uh, it's an, called, the ministry is called Native. I don't know what the whole thing stands for, but I know the last VE stands for Village Evangelism. So I get this chance to train pastors, uh, hundreds of them, um, uh, and I'm going to do that in, Lord willing, in February once again. So that's who he is, and that's, uh, we're glad to always have him, always glad to have him amongst us. One quick thing, one quick personal note, if you don't mind, um, I, I, several people have asked me, I thought I could say this once and, and not say it 25 times, but um, Susie is not with me tonight. Um, you know, when, when I ultimately retire, uh, you're going you're gonna to miss me for about two weeks, but you're going to miss her for about two years. Um, she's the gem of this duo. Uh, I'm the jackass. She's the gem. Um, but... Um, she has a mother, a 94-year-old mother, whose health has been deteriorating for some time, and um, I cannot imagine her living another three or four days. She's been in the hospital for nine days. Uh, my wife has spent mu- much of the last nine days in bed with her mother, lying uh, as her mother dies. Um, she is in horrible shape, everything. I mean, she's on the fifth floor at Baptist. Please don't visit. It's just, it's just too, um, it's too complicated, and... Um, so, uh, I'll be leaving. I'll hang around a little bit, but I'm going to be leaving and going to the hospital um, after tonight to see my wife and my dying mother-in-law. So, that's the situation. Uh, we, would, we really thought she was dying on Monday. She rallied, and then, you know, yesterday she uh, asked me to buy her a hamburger and a Diet Coke. And then uh, today when I saw her, she didn't recognize me. And um, so it's, it's really ugly. But I'm not the only one that's experienced this. So many of you have. We've watched 
Uh, that's just my, my stage, our stage in life. If you're 66, you watch your parents die, and, and that's what, that's what we're, we're doing right now. So, Okay, guys, uh, I want to go back with you um, to Galatians chapter 2. And before we move to the next portion of Galatians chapter 2, I want to pause and I, I, want, to, um, I want to draw your attention once again to the words that are found in verse 4 of Galatians chapter 2. Um, <clears throat> Uh, I, I said last, or two weeks ago, we had the missions conference last week, but two weeks ago, I said to you that as a result of verse 4, uh, that we are confronted once again with this whole subject of uh, Christian liberty. And I didn't say much about it. I, I, I spent about five minutes. I want to I come back to it tonight. And I want to draw your attention to just verse 4, uh, which says this, and this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, now we got a parenthesis, secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that we might be, that, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour. I, I want to fix your attention on that, guys, this whole idea of the false brothers. Who are they? Uh, who did this? Who is it that, uh, that um, came in uh, uh, secretly and brought in by stealth to spy out our liberty and to bring us in? Who are these people? Now, guys, I, I, I must confess to you that I don't know how to even read this to you. Um, on which word should the emphasis lie? Should I read it like this? They were false brethren. Or should I read it like this? False brethren. Um, I really can't tell you. But for our purposes tonight, um, I I am going to read it as if what you have, in fact, I have one hint in verse 11, that they did come from James and that they are brothers. But they are brothers who hold on to some some falsehoods, uh, the consequences of which are to rob God's people of their liberty and to bring them into bondage. Um, uh, that's the way that I'm going to deal with this, guys, that these false brothers are brothers. They're Christians who, for whatever reasons, um, maybe they were raised in, um, in some very legalistic setting in their, in their youth. Or, or maybe they're just very good performers. That is, I mean by that, that they haven't had a major blowout like the rest of us. Um... And um, so they, they, they come in because of that, that sense of moral superiority. They come in to spy out our freedom and to rob us of that and to take us back into bondage. Uh, they want, they don't, they're not comfortable in this world of grace. And so they want to move you back into the world of bondage. And, and may I say this, this is really self-serving and maybe arrogant. I mean, you might call it that. But, you know, one of the, one of the things, one of the ways that you're going to miss me when I'm dead and gone is that you're going to miss that there's somebody who is vigilantly uh, guarding us as a church to, to prevent this thing from happening to us. Letting anyone sneak in and rob us of our liberty and take us back to bondage. It's, it's just one of my greatest hatreds 
Um, and, I, and I hope that will never happen to us um, or to you long after I'm gone. But tonight, here's what I want to do for you. I want to review a book for you. <laughs> um, the book is a piece of genius. Um, it's entitled 12 Steps for the Recovering Pharisee. Um, several years ago, there are, uh, the elders studied this book. It has 12 chapters to it. It's got 12 steps, you know? Um, and we all concluded, all of the elders concluded that all of us were recovering Pharisees. I didn't read you the whole title. 12 steps for the recovering Pharisee like me. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we all have a little bit of Pope in us. We all want to be the one naming the tune. And this guy, this is a, this is $13.50 on Amazon if you want to go buy one. Um, It's written in 2000. It's been around for a while. But this is a really good little treatment of the whole subject of false brothers who come in stealthily to try and sneak out our, uh, to spy out our, our liberty and drag us back into bondage. That's what these are. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take his 12, uh, his 12 steps and I'm going to comment very briefly on each one of them and then we're done. Okay, are you ready, guys? I mean, um, buckle up because um, if any of this as a shoe fits, for heaven's sakes, put it on. Step one, we admit that our single most unmitigated pleasure is to judge other people. Whoa! The thing that we enjoy the most is judging other people. Um... By our so doing, it gives us a subjective means of, of, of affirming ourselves. You remember the, the parable of the publican and the Pharisee in Luke 18? When, when he stands up in the front, the Pharisee stands up in the front, he says, I thank thee, Lord God, that I'm not like them. I don't, I don't like you people. My most enjoyable spiritual exercise is judging everybody else. And by my so doing, it allows me to feel better about myself. You know, ladies and gentlemen, um, everybody in in the world seems to know two texts of the Bible. The first one is, wives submit. They know that one. The second one they know is this. Judge not, lest ye be judged. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what comes right after that? I, don't, I bet you half of you do not know what comes right on the heels of that judge not, lest ye be judged. That, 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 that funky little word picture that Jesus uses about the guy with the plank in his eye trying to help you get that speck out of yours. Because our single most enjoyable spiritual pleasure 
is to judge other people. We really enjoy doing that. That's a lot of fun for us. Um, you know, guys, um, when, when you stand before God, um, would you rather be told that you were too forgiving or you were too judgmental? Hmm? So here, here's a guide. Here's my own guide to step one. Always, always err on the side of charity. If you make a mistake, err on that end of the spectrum, not that other one. Because what would you like God to say to you? Oh, it's a terrible thing. You were too forgiving. Or would you rather hear, you were so judgmental? Because in the life of the recovering Pharisee, the thing that they enjoy most in doing is judging everybody else. Here's number two. Number two, um, we have come to believe that our means of obtaining greatness is to make everyone else lower than ourselves in our own mind. Gang, the shortest route to ascendancy is the degradation of someone else. That is what is behind gossip. If I can say to someone else and make you look lower, that will allow me to look bigger. If I can just whittle you down to size a little bit, then I get bigger in that person's eyes. And so we replace the truth with propaganda, or, or even worse, rumor. Guys, one of the trademarks of the Pharisee is that they have a stroke, they have a streak of moral superiority. We think of ourselves as morally superior. You know where I see that so much in me? When I'm behind the wheel. I'm a better driver than every one of you. And I wish that you would learn to drive as well as I know how to drive. But we do that in the moral arena as well, ladies and gentlemen. We're better parents. We're better husbands. We have better quiet times. The, the shortest... the. The means of obtaining greatness is to make everyone else lower than ourselves in our own mind. How you doing? I got 10 more of these. How about this? Number three, we realize that we detest mercy. Hold on. It's not that we detest mercy. We detest mercy being given to those who, unlike us, haven't worked for it, or don't deserve it. Oh, we love mercy. But we just don't want anybody to get it who didn't earn it like we did. I mean, whatever mercy I've got, that's because I've worked very hard for it. You know, gang, earning and deserving... That's very near and dear to our hearts, isn't it? Um, 
Do you remember the, the parable of, the, you know, of the, the landowner who goes out to hire all the people and he hires them at 6 a.m. And, and he hires some at 9 a.m. and then he hires them at noon and then 3 p.m. And, and they come to the end of the day and they, they, they line up for their pay. And you know what the biggest complaint of those guys that worked all day are, don't you? Hey, wait a minute. You are giving them something that they didn't work for and I did. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the mark of a Pharisee. We love mercy, but we don't want anybody getting it who didn't earn it and didn't work for it. Um, Acceptance on the basis of performance was how most of us began our lives. And that is a hard habit to get out of, is it not? You know, ladies and gentlemen, do you know what they call when you get something more than you deserve or what you didn't deserve? You know what they call that? They call that grace. Do you know what they call getting only what you deserve? They call that hell. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a generous God. Oh, that our generosity might reflect his. Number four. We have decided that we don't want to get what we deserve after all. And we don't want anyone else to either. Um, I want to read you something. This is right out of the book. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, my fellow recovering Pharisee, listen up. Uh, What about the the pro-choice supporters, the gay rights activists, the militant feminists, the secular humanists, to name a few? What if they suddenly ended up in church? What if God decided to give them all a soft heart towards him? What would we do? How would we react? Would this be cause for great rejoicing? Or would we go off and sulk somewhere like Jonah did? Even more, would we be out of a job? Have we Christians so identified ourselves with moral indignation and the antagonistic side of a right and wrong battle that we have no place in our hearts for God's mercy and compassion? What would we do if there was no one to be mad at anymore? Are we so invested in being antagonistic toward elements of society that appall us that we have forsaken our calling as ambassadors of reconciliation to a lost world? Ladies and gentlemen, I have another piece of advice for you. However much Fox News you are watching, cut it in half. I'm not saying they're not right. I'm not saying I disagree with them, but there's too much anger. And we're not, they're not going to save us anyway, ladies and gentlemen. Our Savior is a whole lot more liberal than the Democrats. And he's a whole lot more conservative than the Republicans. Our our hope is not in Washington. What's going to happen if he decides to pour out revival on all those people that we hate? 
Um, we've decided that we don't want to get what we deserve after all, and we don't want anybody else to either. Here's number five. Um, we will cease all attempts to apply teaching and rebuke to anyone but ourselves. That is, if you want to be a recovering Pharisee, then you're going to cease all attempts to apply teaching and rebuke to anybody but yourself. So when you're sitting and listening to obnoxious Jimmy Young preach up there, don't worry about the people sitting in the row in front of you. I'm going I'm to stop applying teaching and rebuke to anyone but myself. You know, Pharisees have a habit of applying truth to everyone but themselves. It starts by thinking that you're an expert on something. And so you stop learning. You know, I heard a Baptist say this one time, and I, I, I repeat my Baptist friend because he was assessing his own world. But this Baptist buddy of mine said, the only thing that a Baptist really knows is that he's right. But the learning process has stopped. I'm not asking what's, what's being taught. I'm asking, does it agree with what I already believe? Gang, listen, if you want to be a recovering Pharisee, you got to come to the place where how God deals with somebody else is his business. It's not mine. Get off of that throne and let the God who is the giver of the law, let him occupy it. Number six, we're halfway done. These are 12 steps to a recovering Pharisee like me. Number six is we are ready to have God remove all these defects of attitude and character that we see in ourselves that are so pharisaical. You know, I, 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 I don't know where this quote came from, and I hate it that I didn't write down who said it, but he says this. Before we can be greatly used of God, we must see the monstrous evil in our souls. Have you seen that about your own soul? The monstrous Evil. That's right. And you fine upstanding evangelicals. There's monstrous evil at the base of our soul. And all of our best deeds, says Augustine, are splendid sins. Guys, my only personal asset... is Christ crucified. And that's your only personal asset. i got to hurry. Number seven. Um, <clears throat> we embrace the belief that we are and will always be... Oh, I love this. We embrace the belief that we are and always will be experts at sinning. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that the Christian gospel 
is something that is inward, not outward. Do you understand that spirituality is not the stuff that's hanging on the outside? It's the envy. It's the lust. It's the selfishness. It's the lack of servanthood. All of that stuff that's on the inside. Spirituality is inward, not outward. You know, ladies and gentlemen, and I I think so many of you in this room would say this, that the longer I follow Jesus Christ, the more of my sin I see. Don't you agree with that? Let me me tell you, this is just a brief vignette, but I remember sitting in my office years ago, and, and a preacher was sitting in there with me. He was visiting me. And we were having this discussion, and I made that, I made that comment. That the longer I follow Jesus Christ, the more of my sin I see. And he vociferously objected to that idea. Five years later, he took his own life. Now, I'm not saying that really proves anything, but I, I, I've always thought that's so odd. Ladies and gentlemen, we are experts at sinning. That's what we are. Um, You do know, don't you, that in Alcoholics Anonymous, an alcoholic will never say he's not an alcoholic anymore. He will simply say, "I've I've I've been sober for 180 days or I've stopped drinking for 180 days. But he will never say, I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I'm an alcoholic. And I've been dry for 171 days. And that's not me. But uh, um, guys, we're sinners. You were born into this world sinful. You were redeemed by grace. And you know what you still are? You're an expert. I'm an expert. I'm an expert in sinning. I'd love to talk more. But um, number eight. This is number eight. Yeah, number eight. We are looking closely at the lives of famous men and women of the Bible who turned out to be ordinary sinners just like us. Um, You know what, ladies and gentlemen? God works through whomever he chooses. He chose Jacob, not Esau. Esau was the kind of rugged individual man guy. Jacob was a thug. David... Ladies and gentlemen, as wonderful as the book of Psalms is, David committed adultery. And he had her husband murdered. I'm going to read you a little quote from this chapter. This is so cool, I think. That the scriptures are brimful of hustlers, murderers, cowards, adulterers, and mercenaries used to shock me. Now... It is a source of great comfort. You know who said that? Bono. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Chapter 9. Here's the ninth step for recovering Pharisees like me. We are seeking through prayer and meditation to make a conscious effort to consider others better than ourselves. You know, ladies and gentlemen, Pharisees are good at casting blame. Recovering Pharisees take blame. Um, I'm telling you, we are all so guilty of oftentimes, we, we work from a false sense of our own worth. That is, 
I'm valuable if I perform well. I'm unvaluable if I perform poorly. But to establish our worth, we try to work to appear good. You know, I, I, I went to um, a prison recently to visit a man who tells me this story about, who told me a story. And uh, it, it involved his wife. And uh, all the outside stuff was impeccable. But if I could tell you a couple of the things that she did. <laughs> you know, the, the, the public persona is really good. But when you're in bed with her. Mm, not so good. I have said to you over and over again. If you want to know who Jimmy Young is. You go talk to Susie. Um, tenth. We embrace the state of astonishment as a permanent and glorious reality. That is, guys, and grace has found out me. Oh, wow. Grace has overtaken somebody. That sense of astonishment that I am in the kingdom. I got to read you this, but it's got a bad word, and the only word y'all are going to hear is the bad word. Um, this is a guy, Robert Farah Kapan. I have quoted him before, but I've never quoted this. The gospel is not a question to be answered or a puzzle to be solved. It is a paradox to be relished, a wild, outrageous secret to be astonished at, and then snitched to the world as the greatest joke ever told. The mystery of Christ is a festival of weakness and foolishness on the part of God, something that makes no more sense than the square root of minus one. Something that, something that is deaf to our cries for an intelligible explanations, but that works when it is put into the equation of the world. Something can only be marveled at because it is such preposterously good news. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation has one word for us. God has upped and done the damnedest thing. Or to get the direction and adjectives right. God has downed and done the blessedest thing we could have ever not have thought of. Now, this is, this is no longer the quote. Why would, we never th- why would we never thought of the gospel? Because it is backwards to the way we naturally operate. From childhood on, we have always earned our place in life. We have learned that good performances are rewarded and poor performances are punished. How does one suddenly receive something so wonderful that has nothing whatsoever to do with performance? That's not easy. In fact, this reverse nature of the gospel is one of the simplest arguments for the validity of Christianity. No human being would have ever thought this up. Who has ever thought of a false gospel with the free gift of salvation? Hasn't, hasn't happened and it's not going to happen. All false gospels are based on works because that's what we're after. The gift of salvation is simply too preposterous for our imagination. And so we never get over the being astonished. 
astonished that it has found out me. Got to go to number 11. We choose to rid ourselves of any attitude that is not bathed in gratitude. Gang, the absence of thankfulness is an indication that legalism still rules in your life. Pharisees don't respond well to gifts. You see, you're only thankful for those things that you know you didn't deserve. Ladies and gentlemen, if there's any text in this Bible that I repeat often, over and over and over again, it is 1 Corinthians 4, 7. And I said to you three weeks ago, if you, if you don't hear anything I say, just get 1 Corinthians 4, 7 down. And it says this, what do you have that you did not receive? Could you show me to it? But guess what? I found another verse this morning in my time with the Lord. It's John the Baptist. It's John 3, verse 27, and he says, A man can, rece- a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You got nothing. 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 That you didn't get by way of gift from this generous God of ours. I got one more. Here's the last one. Having had had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we will try to carry this message to others who think that Christians are better than everyone else. You know, ladies and gentlemen, we got a better message than that. We got a better message than the one that just says we're better than everybody. Our message is about a person. It's not about a code. Being saved is better than being better. I want to close by reading you a a poem. And it was written by this author, John Fisher. I just hope I can do it. And then I saw, as in a dream, reflections of his glory stream on unsuspecting faces enraptured in his graces. And the lost who now had all been found sang in pure unfettered sound a song I knew from memory, though I'd never heard it sung before. And then the host brought out the wine and bid us all come and dine at the banquet of the living, the table of forgiving. And as we raised our glasses high and tears were forming in our eyes, I heard his words remind me of what I'd heard so many times before. You're not the only one with truth. You're not the only one with eyes. You're not the only one, the only one who cries. You're not the only one. And he closes his book with this statement. 
May God burn away our virtues if they keep us from the company of those, including ourselves, whom he came to save. You want to join me in my recovery? You can buy one of these for $13.50 on Amazon. Let's quit. Our Father, would you remind us that you have set us free from the bondage of the law and that you will use me or the elders or all of us to prevent this church from ever being spied out by false brothers trying to rob us of our freedom and take us back into bondage. Father, we do have that tendency in all of us. There's a little bit of a pope in all of us. And so would you prevent us from giving vent to our flesh and help us to enjoy more and more the great beauties of this gospel. Might we never lose our astonishment that somehow, for some reason, that is only found in the great heart of God, grace has found out me. We love you, Lord. We are sorry we love you so little. Enable us to love you more. For Jesus' sake, amen.